Rin Tim Tim, hello. Roof. <laughs> I'll assume that's a high back in in Rin Tim Tim dog language. I'll that's continue it. my regular old English to say a regular old hello to all you listening. Hello and welcome to Dismembering Horror. Episode 162 of Dismembering Horror. Indeed, the podcast show, or as I like to say, shoo, where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We dismember a horror film at the clip of every week for you. And to dismember a horror film, we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a, you guessed it, horror film. And I feel like it's been a while since I've clarified or, or made known or said uh, what I like to say up front, but just for whatever reason I've been forgetting to. I put emphasis on those what worked for us, what did not work for us, because this is all very much in the spirit of just friends getting together and talking about those things even though Tim and I have um, are filmmakers and think critically and can get passionate about what we like or don't like, we by no means, even though it may sound like it when we get passionate, uh, are saying we are, we are all that is right. You, you are not allowed to enjoy Insidious. You are a bad person if you like The Conjuring 3. No, we don't, don't mean that at all. Actually, quite the opposite. In the spirit of friends getting together, we hope that merely the level of dissection that we're speaking to allows you to then just simply think on those specific points, how you feel. And if you hate us or are loving us in those moments, cheering us on or yell- yelling at us in disagreement, it's all great. Because as I said, this uh, podcast in the spirit, of just friends getting together and talking about what we all love talking about and are here for. Stories of the macabre, stories would, of mayhem. I would love to see. <laughs> I would love to see like a reaction video of somebody listening to us and just being like, no, no, you're wrong. You idiots. Oh, my and friend Nick has me. gotten so mad at us. Like he loved, <laughs> he loved the strangers pray at night. Oh, God. And was, like, yelling at us through that one. I think he's, like, always, like, he says he disagrees with you a lot on different things. <laughs> I'll call him. Yeah, he says, well, my, my enemy, Tim. Nick, um, you're wrong. I'm the authority. What I say is the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, I hear from him and be like, yeah, I listen to your show again. Just kidding. How did you guys hate this movie? And Tim, what he said, God, you guys just are so rock. well it's not about being wrong or right but that is how we feel 
because I guess we're the ones with the microphone. So, <laughs> you know, can get annoying. That's right. Start your own podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, all the same. <laughs> thanks for being here. Right. Oh, yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And, <laughs> and we'll see you next time. <laughs> and also, what I like to say up front that I think I have been um, good about saying up front recently is, and I always make a point to, this is all in the spirit of discovery. That's what gets me Jones in in life and with movies is what what did this what did this film unveil? What did it do that was interesting or different? How did it work or not work in a way that is unique unto itself? How did it explore this theme in a way we hadn't seen before? How did it not explore this theme in a way we would have liked to see? All that. And just, you know, in that same sense of discovery, just trying to see all that's good and all that horror movies have to offer. Uh, you know, you got to dig through the whole pile in order to get to anything. So that's exactly what we're doing here, too. Great, great. I feel like yeah. it was a good thorough. Just check up. What are we all doing here? All right. And yeah. for this week, anything else, Tim, before we move on to this week's episode? No. Uh, or I should say it's this week. season, though, I'll tell you what. Right, this week's subject. Right, this episode right now we're doing releases September 30th. So if you're listening to this live or a few days after, yeah, welcome to the spooky season. Yep. For this episode, episode 162, we covered, well, if we're just talking about trying to, to see all that is out there within a, a subgenre of horror that I feel is very tackleable, is the horror anthology subset or subgenre. <laughs> Seems like there's not tons and tons. Like whenever you look at a list, like if you see a list that stretches as much as like, dares to go as much as like top 25 or top 30, you're kind of like, that is kind of all of them, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's really not a top at that point. It's ordered, but I don't know if you could say it's a top. But uh, yeah, it was fun to check up with one from another country. It's always interesting to do too, provide some kind of a different context. So today from 2012, we're going to be talking about horror stories from South Korea with a wraparound and four shorts all, all throughout it. Another horror anthology film. So Tim, to jump into horror stories, you like to start with a trailer. You ready for that? Oh my God. I'm so ready. <laughs> Great. Me too. All right. Here we go again from 2012 South Korea Horror Stories. Wow, vintage 2012, Tim. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, nearly 10 years ago. Oh, man. 
What's right. up with that trailer? It was like super, super widescreen format um, on YouTube. That's interesting. I've never seen that before. Who cares? Why am I even telling you about this? <laughs> right. They couldn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Tim, we like to curtail viewing the trailer or partial trailer into our rating system, which consists of would we tell ourselves to avoid this film stream it, rent it, or buy it. And again, this is just Tim talking to Tim and Ryan talking to Ryan. But technically, it's Tim talking to Ryan and Ryan talking to Tim and Tim and Ryan talking to all of you. But you're correct. It's Tim talking to Tim. Our rating is if Tim was talking to Tim. Tim is talking to Ryan and the listeners about what Tim would tell Tim. That's that's right. Okay. Um, I'm a little mixed on this because like I had a good time watching this but like critically speaking there's a bunch of stuff that i was like no i don't like it but i liked watching it it's weird so i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a low no i'm gonna give it a high stream great almost was a low rent but a high stream high stream for me well, Tim, just to keep things interesting, I was going between a low stream and uh, whatever, avoid it. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I okay, okay, I've given this kind of, you know, we have our subsets within our rating system here, but I've given the stream it's before where I'm like, yeah, you know what? If this is like the last movie of the night when you're with friends, and it's a horror anthology, and it's Korean, and it's like, you need one that's okay to be falling asleep during, like, where it's fine (laughs) if it's at that level. It's just kind of, like, fun if you're falling asleep (laughs) or, like, stoned or whatever to kind of, like, try to just follow and keep track of with your friends. Great. let me tell you what. If you were stoned and you were trying to follow this, (laughs) good night. (laughs) You're you're not going to have a good time. Just go to sleep. But you are having fun because it's with friends. You're just trying to hang in there and whatever. Got it. Yes. (laughs) Tim, I mean, just to bring in the state of the world a bit too, that that reality of getting to watch the movies that way is just something I'm so disconnected to now. Yeah. Of just like not getting together with friends on a regular basis like that anymore. Like, boy, do I miss it. But just so, so I got to just, I don't know. I'm just coming so much more from the context of these days. Like, well, okay. So it could be stream it in that context for me, like a lower stream it. But again, since that's so just a reality, I'm so separate from now. And I'm just only thinking in terms of just me sitting here alone. What would I tell myself to do regarding a movie? The, I just got lost with this movie after the first short. It just totally went downhill for me. I'll, if I'm being honest, which, hey, again, just my, just my opinion, how I felt. Sorry, horror stories. Seemed like fine people. But I was <laughs> only wanting it to be over. I was so disconnected. It's just, ugh. Anyway, so I would yeah. tell myself to just avoid it and watch something else I've seen before again that I really love. Even, you know, one of those cases. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't I don't disagree with you. I think the you know, the reason I'm kind of in this higher camp, I guess or whatever is just I well, I don't know. I like anthologies. I actually just think they're fun and you know, I'm kind of in that mode 
right now anyway because I'm uh, going to the film festival and seeing blocks of short films. Mm -hmm. And so like because of that, I'm like, oh, this is kind of just like another block of short films and like my expectations are pretty low and I'm just there to kind of casually consume and and take it for what it is. And so I just kind of like was okay with it not being that great. Yeah. Which is weird, but I like <laughs> anthologies. I think they're fun. I mean, I I do too. Uh I don't know if I have a, a favorite um anyway, not not important, but I think this uh this film it had its best one up front and that so just really killed my enjoyment of it in the long mm. run. Like, okay. <laughs> you can see how that would just kind of kill it when it doesn't. Oh yeah. The first one would be so hmm. anyways. And, right, but cool. I mean, you, you'll the plenty I can say, maybe not plenty, but enough. I can say that did work for me, blah, blah, blah. So we can keep moving on. We'll get to it all. But cool. Avoid it, Ryan. all right well tim since uh maybe you were a bit more engaged than i was you might be the perfect person to try to give us a brief summary here a brief rundown brief brief brief. okay (laughs) okay here we go anthology style we've got a wraparound story it's a girl who's been kidnapped by presumably some sort of deranged serial killer and she's tied up and he says tell me a scary story so I can fall asleep because I can only fall asleep if my blood is curdled. And she says, okay, I'll do it. And she dives in. So we get three stories from her. Right? Four. Wait, one. What was the fourth one? Two. Oh, right, 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 right. Four <laughs> stories from her. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> which, when you're telling us right now, let us know which one you were just forgetting. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know if I, I was... I don't know. The first one feels, I don't know. We'll get into it later. The first one is so convoluted to me that it's like, I don't even know what I watched. And the third one, I was so confused that I was like, I just want to forget that (laughs) happened. So here's what they were. The first one is called Don't Answer the Door. It's two kids. They're being taken home from school and they're going to be home. They're basically, in a way, latchkey kids. Their parents aren't home. Um, And they've been already like pre-freaked out because they were watching a scary um, video at school. They get home and their mom has told them that a package is going to be delivered and to not open the door for the person delivering the package, you know, which is smart safety first and wait for them to leave. And then you can go get the package, bring it inside, make sure the door is locked and call mom. But we quickly devolve into a series of who knows what is real. If it's in their head, if it's a dream, if it's connected to something else, but it's a lot of, um, you know, home invasion style horror um and ultimately the kids uh fall victim to this home invader thing 
I don't know what else to say about it. That has something to do with their dad's corrupt company he's protesting? Oh, let's not, I mean, let's not get too down the rabbit hole here, Ryan. (laughs) Okay, so, so, okay, great. That's the first one. Um, Oh, wait, well, you're right. Okay, so this is my problem. I don't want to, I, God damn it. Just keep it going. You you painted the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Concise, concise. Yes, you're right. right. There is some other stuff going on as to why, um, (laughs) why this, the home invasion is happening. We'll get to it later. Okay, number two. Uh, by the way, this does not make our our wraparound killer fall asleep. So she has to tell another one. Uh, number two, Endless Flight. I liked Endless Flight, just side note. Um, Endless Flight, another serial killer, has been captured. He's been caught, but his thing was, you know, kidnapping people. Um, and the last person he kidnapped was a flight attendant and killed but now that he's caught, he's being put on a plane to presumably be taken to trial or put in prison or something like that. So the whole plane is empty except for the the flight crew and a couple cops that are escorting him. And we follow a flight attendant who is a little freaked out by the notion of having this serial killer who has escaped before on a flight, on her flight. And guess what? He is, he escapes his his uh, shackles and wreaks havoc havoc on the plane. He kills basically everybody on the plane, and she has to sort of fend for herself and and fight him off. And uh, that's it. That's the story. <laughs> yep. Um. Uh, yet this guy also sees ghosts. Yes. He sees the specter of the victims of his, I guess, or at least one particular victim. I feel like it's the last victim. But anyway. But, you know, he ultimately kind of gets away, flies away, because that one just ends with her being like, and they were never seen again. Yeah. Great. Uh, Number three. (laughs) Our serial killer is still not asleep. Number three, but he's dozing. He's starting to fade. Number three, secret recipe. No, did I say the last one was called Endless Flight? Number three, secret recipe. Um, This was a fucking mess. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but it was. But the gist is that you've got two sisters, one of whom is trying to kind of become the other she she's jealous of the her sister and um the sister she's jealous of is courting a very rich um young well not young but man who looks very young because he's super successful and whatever who knows why probably he's a vampire or something um and in courting him he's coming over for dinner and then the the sister who's jealous is kind of mucking it up and being obnoxious what we find out is that he and his mom uh, are systematically capturing brides, killing them, and then uh, pickling their meat and eating it. And maybe that's why he remains young looking forever. This all happens. Um, the woman that he's courting, the, uh, the, the sister, the I guess the the good sister 
Um, she f- she through various pitfalls avoids being the one who gets captured. The jealous sister ends up getting captured and pickled, and then fed to her own mother. And and our young guy is a plastic surgeon. I forget if you mentioned that. Just sort of that's oh right, fl- he's a flavors at all. Yes, yes, I forgot about that part. But yes, um, and um, and uh, that's it. Like she doesn't die, but maybe it was all a dream. Who knows? Uh, now our our um our serial killer kidnapper is is he's almost asleep and our heroine who's telling these stories almost gets away, but not quite. So she has to tell one more story. This is called ambulance of death. Oh no. Ambulance on the death zone. Excuse me. This (laughs) one was okay. Some of it was okay. It's zombie zombie apocalypse kind of style stuff. You've got a, a mother and daughter, who have been um, put on an ambulance and you've got the ambulance crew assessing whether or not they can get to the hospital in time and safely and whether or not the daughter has been bitten and is infected and if they should kick her off the ambulance or try to save her. And this devolves into a just sort of, you know, what's the right thing to do? The doctor thinks one thing, the nurse thinks another, the mom thinks another, the driver is sort of like, what should I do? And it all falls apart zombie apocalypse style where they all kind of get eaten and, um, you know, die. Yeah, the nurse kind of becomes our hero in the middle of it. Um, Correct. Yeah. Um, and that one, that one was close to being solid, uh, but we'll talk about it later. So then we come back to the wraparound. Our bad guy has fallen asleep. Our heroine woman is... Uh, getting her, uh, she gets the knife, she gets her bind, binding unbound. <laughs> she gets up, uh, she's about to leave, and um, oops, he woke up and he slits her throat at the end. Yeah, he says, now I'm going to tell you some horror stories or something like that, and then kills her. Now it's my turn to tell you horror stories, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a mess. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it just is. <laughs> it's, uh, but it's weird because I was just sort of like, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It seems all like innocent enough in a way, <laughs> you know, and just like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get what you mean. Anyway, there you go. All right. Great. Great summary slash summaries, Tim. Thanks, bro. Now we can really start digging in deep here, though, with our first section, if you're ready for it. I'm ready. Okay, great. <laughs> here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What I guess since I'm on the uh, enjoyed it less spectrum, I feel like I should just talk through my positive experience as a starting point for what worked here. Okay. Just like what, <laughs> what was my experience watching it? How is it positive? Start out the movie. You're just kind of 
right quick in this setup. It's like a young guy captures, you know, is already captured this young girl. The music's totally hokey. I'm like, oh. okay, where is this going? Sorry, it's not skip, not meaning to skip away to what does not work, but just, <laughs> just, just to give my whole experience here. Yeah. But then pretty soon off, I thought it was really interesting because, you know, he's just like, okay, he's going to torture her, make her to tell stories, whatever. This just feels so familiar. But it just felt like a little nice, okay, made me sit up in my seat when he goes, here's the knife, you can have it, which... Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't really make sense how it played out, but it at least sort of got me like, all right, he's he's got another he's got another kind of plan here. All right, what's what's he up to? Made me sit up. All right, tell her tell her stories. She's got to tell her stories, like you said. First one, it starts out really cool. We have a clear in. She says, pretty sure she straight up says like, this is something that happened when I was younger, so it feels like. She's pulling from her real life here. Here's an in that we have. But that's actually true or not, we'll get to if it is her. But I'm pretty sure that's what she says. At least that's how I was viewing it on my first viewing here. Cool. Feel that personal touch. So that way I'm watching this first story. It's neat. It's sort of, you know, you can look at it from the perspective of like she's having this memory. She's describing exactly how she saw it. This first story here. It was really fun. Like it got me from that that gecko where you like you have an opening shot of like a creepy space, but then a jump scare happens, and it turns out it's just one of those like YouTube jump scare videos, and kids are watching it. Right, it's great. Then we get into like totally just like quirky, fun, weird like musical number almost, which you know I'm a sucker for. I just I was you know laughing. I saw Tim there going even though I wasn't with you, I can imagine you just going, what the hell? Where we have like the school teacher singing to the bus of kids as they're dropping them off. Oh but man, had- I was, I was, I was dancing along with them. <laughs> but it had character and like weird little moments in it where like her voice changed in a creepy way. And this, this kind of like undercurrent of a fun, like a, a weird, just kind of innocent, creepy, fun stories being told in this horror anthology. The, the hokey music is almost kind of working in a sense. And then uh, and then from that point on, then we have like, yeah, maybe it's not totally making sense here and there, but I kind of, I, I get it. We got just sort of, this is the story of like the fear of uh, a parent telling their children to be wary of adults, kids left alone. Cool. That is the thing for this story. Then we just had some really fun moments in it, Tim. Like the highlight of the whole movie for me, I think, was when, you know, after the delivery man comes and drops drops off the package, she goes to the door again. And we have this guy shove his head in the door. And it's like, just the visual of it, where he, it's like he has um, really tight, fine, thin wire, like drawn tightly across his face. So it's just kind of like a weird, fun, like visual for a pursuer or a bad guy or whatever. But it's just like that kind of energy that it brought um, when the girl screams and runs away and the guy, the way he like, it just has these sort of funny smiles. Like he's just performance. He's just eating it up and is just having fun with the creepy way he looks. And this is the way he looks from side to side and makes his curious sounds. It's like, cool, this is fun. I like, I'm digging this. Even then, like the the jump scare of just the creepy 
girl ghost in the hallway, whatever that was, or in the closet when the kids are hiding in there. It's creepy with just the unmoving figure, um, you know, standing against the, um, standing behind the plant. And then it all closed. And then in the end, it all kind of came full circle where they ended up in the space from the creepy YouTube jump scare video. Like how cool, like as a way just to sort of, you know, tie it all together. And I was a little confused on these other details, but great, solid. There's my what worked for me for the first opening scene of the wraparound and first story. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the things for me that worked with the same stuff for the the opening. I think the visuals of the opening are actually really solid. I was like, oh, okay, like we're in good hands. Um, then we get into the actual story, first story, and like I agree, I thought the it was kind of fun and goofy and and in a good way. And and they do make this reference to sort of what you were saying, the political stuff, which is the daughter is seen a newscast of a worker who had been laid off from a particular job and uh, ended up committing suicide by setting themselves on fire in sort of, you know, uh, protest and despair over having been laid off. So there's this like side kind of uh, story going on that we wind up finding out is the reason that these people are breaking into the house in the first place. Uh because they're seeking revenge on these on the parents of these kids kids yes that's right um how do i not just tell you why it's a mess okay so regardless <laughs> of that there are a couple really good moments for sure i mean i really like that whole lead up of the kids running and hiding in the closet and the the intruder you know opening closet doors and each time they open one it, it's it's not the right one and then finally you get to the right one and we take a hard left turn into a totally different scare um which although confusing was still kind of fun and you know exciting because it was a scare you get this really cool big eyeball looking through the crack in the closet and it does play into how the story wrapped up that idea of kids are, this is a story of kids projecting their fears of something that's not there into just whatever the random fears are, whether it's creepy right. wire face man or ghost in closet. And we, you know, my sense was that the, there's a, there's a woman specter that shows up a handful of times through, throughout this story and at the end of the story, I kind of was like, okay, I think I've put it together that that ghost woman who's there as well as the intruders is the specter of the woman who killed herself. She's a burnt up specter. Um, I like that idea. Um, regardless of how it played, I, I think that's fun. Um, and I do agree, like when they get out of the apartment itself and they run downstairs and they're like trapped and they go through a door, the the tension of all of those moments is good. Like I was feeling it. Um, and I love that they get into that same space that they've that we opened with. Um, of course, numerous times we kind of are 
snapped back into a seeming reality. It's like a dream within a dream a couple times, and it that gets a little convoluted. We'll talk about it later. Um, so hard to know exactly what was real in this one. Um, sometimes that works really well. Again, that was the point of this one, which I thought was cool. In the end, even though maybe it just kind of wrapped up like to sort of take care of that in a voiceover, at least that idea was there inconsistent. It justifies why we have these different sort of manifestations and why we're jumping back and forth to realities. Kids, <laughs> it feels a little right, right, maybe right. cheap and um, condescending in a way as a philosophy of kids just see whatever and imagine their fears or whatever. Or people <laughs> yeah. to see whatever. It at least was consistent idea that justified everything going on. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, I don't have anything else. I You know what? There, there's one shot, the shot, this reminded me so much of a Berenstain Bears book that I had, which was like, I don't remember what it was called, but something about like, don't be af- like afraid of the dark kind of uh, installment of the Berenstain Bears where like brother bear and sister bear, uh, for some reason are, are like primed to be like kind of freaked out. Maybe they were like being told a, a, a spooky story or something like that before bed and they get in bed and they in the dark everything in the room looks like through their imagination looks like something scary like but when they turn on the light they realize that like it's just the you know the coat hook you know with the coat on it it wasn't like a man standing in the room <laughs> yeah, and they I remember like that three one, or four yeah. of those right and i used to love that because it was sort of this thing of like our imaginations can do a lot and you can be scared and being scared is kind of exciting. But also like if you turn on the lights, you're probably okay. Like I I really enjoyed that. We have that exact moment in this one where it's like, oh, here's actually what was behind the plant or whatever. Yeah. Right. And I, I was psyched about that in the moment, like him standing behind the plant and then finding out maybe that was all just her imagination running wild. I, that, concept or like seeing that kind of idea played out was fun and maybe just because of the nostalgia of the Berenstain Bears but anyway um yeah beyond that I don't have much else great well (laughs) I guess I could sort of say my what worked for the other sections and then I have a couple of or just kind of like overall things maybe but if we're just going to keep going down the list of shorts here yeah Next was Endless Flight. For this one, no, what works? What? Wait, was that the next one? Oh yeah. my God, it was. Damn. So then, okay. end, Endless Flight, what worked for me about this one was I liked our hero, uh, our flight attendant, So Young. That's how you pronounce her name. Um, she was just a fun lead. Agreed. Yeah, she played it out. I like the like trapped on a thing, you know. Like, you have nowhere to go, really. Um, you got to fight the bad guy. All of that was fun. I can say Crawling I like... under the seats and stuff. I like all that on paper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot officially put it in what worked for me, though, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yeah, you, you're so right. There's so many things that sort of, I guess ostensibly i was like oh cool but then execution wasn't quite there um damn 
I enjoyed this one the most as it was going on. But now looking back, I'm like, <laughs> is that just because of my my expectation or like my excitement for the possibilities of the situation were high. Cause like, when you think about what ended up happening, I'm like, what ended up happening? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) I don't remember. No, I remember it just was, yeah, it kind of, it was milky, if you will. Well, that's not a very good, what worked, Tim. I'm looking at, I I said my thing that worked for this one and I'm done. So if (laughs) I'm looking to you now, (laughs) if there's anything else about, uh, endless the, flight. The setup worked for me. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, then if that's it, then we can go to Secret Recipe where I can say the same. The setup worked for me in Secret Recipe. Even just some of the ideas, you know, cannibalism yeah. ideas I'm always down for. Idea of a creepy plastic surgeon working with his mother. Um, the sister who's, I guess, the bad guy sister just had this like kind of manic fun energy to her and kind of is set up from the get-go of being a little crazy. I want to look exactly like my sister give me plastic surgery to do that. We have then uh, this like the strange like love triangle kind of set up where they're all playing footsie under the table and the mom (laughs) feels like she's just kind of there orchestrating it all or, or is you know, conniving with the one sister and going to the other one. This one kind of has a, its own kind of quirky flavor and setup to it with the setting of the house and the the rich people setting, I guess, and all that. There's a wedding going on. So just at the beginning of it, I was just kind of like with all that going on, I was kind of sitting up a bit and being like, ooh, where is this one going to go? This is interesting. And that's what worked for me about Secret Recipe. Yeah, I mean, this is based on a folk tale, and it had that feeling. It's sort of a, I mean, it, it, I guess it's a Cinderella-esque folk tale. And all of that, that sort of underlying stuff was, I really liked. I was like, these are cool concepts, and these are like this cautionary tale kind of vibe and this flipping the Cinderella-type stuff on its head. I, I like, I was like, oh, these are fun. Um, I really like the idea idea of the many brides right like that he that's just what he and his crazy mom do they oh yeah yeah entice brides or entice women to become his bride and then he's keeping all of their dresses their the wedding gowns like in a room hanging that to me was the coolest part of the whole story yeah, and as part of the setup, that was fun. Like making making clear up front, she's wife number six. That's <laughs> you right. know, they that's say right. that straight up at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that stuff was all cool, and I think the tension, like you're saying, the sort of the tension between the sisters and the and the mom. I, it now, of course, of, occurs to me. I don't know how I was. I I guess I sort of implicitly understood this that it's it's really the main character is the. Uh, not th- like her the mom and, and her sister are her stepmom and stepsister mm-hmm. right so they are mother and daughter but she is the you know whatever sister from somebody else oh, okay. through marriage um and so it really is Cinderella but it's it's this very <laughs> dark version of it where Prince Charming is a bad guy um 
and the once the stepsister the the sort of the jealous step, stepsister is captured and tied up i like that visual of like the the wrapping around her in his surgical room um and the <laughs> the death like the device of dropping this weird like I don't know what you even call it. It's sort of a masher, bladed masher thing that falls from the ceiling when he like hits a button and it <laughs> it like minces her. I yeah. guess. I like that. That was kind of cool. Um that's all I can say without just going into things that didn't work. <laughs> a bladed masher thing. Exactly what it was. Uh great. Last one we had. Ambulance on the death zone. <sighs> this one, let's see. I liked, I just thought it was fun how we kind of gather that they are using the term rats to refer to as the infected slash zombies or whatever. Just yes. like, I don't know. That was, a, that was an interesting little touch you hadn't seen before in a, a zombie thing. That Small. moment I really was excited about. When mm. he has said the rats and you've been bitten by the rat and blah, 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 a bunch of times. And you just I just was like, oh, this is a cool idea. The whatever the plague zombie plague that has infected people is coming from rats, much like the plagues yeah. of old, even though just side note, it wasn't really the rats. It was the fleas. But um, <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was cool when you get this moment of. Oh, no, here they come. And the first shot, you can't make out what is kind of like coming over the hill toward them. I was like, ooh, maybe it's going to be a horde of rats. That'd be pretty cool to see. And then I was like, oh, maybe they just are calling humans rats in this instance. And then it turns out to be that. And I was like, that's also cool. So, yeah, yeah, I like that. That was fun. Just trying to say, oh, these these vermin. Yeah, just trying to look at these infected as the vermin. Uh. And then, um, you know, just kind of like the wire man in the first story peeking his head through. And then I didn't even mention once the wire man makes it through in the first story and he's kind of like cavorting around and just, you know, just 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 playing it up in a way that's so silly and fun and just creepy, crazy, man. There's a moment like that I enjoyed performance wise in this one where the ambulance driver when they exit the tunnel and there's all the zombies there and he has to deal with running them over and avoiding them. He (laughs) says this moment where it's one of those uh, scream laughs, you know, where it's sort of devolving between the two (laughs) screaming and laughing where it just turns out. Yeah. He just becomes hysterical leading up to, I think he crashes and whatever, but just his performance in there of doing those screen laughs, I thought was fun and more just kind of that fun energy of an actor just kind of, yeah, like I just said, just having fun with it. I appreciated when that popped up in this movie. Just not, it's it's a weird. It's I want to say not taking it seriously, but at the same time, it's it's the taking of it seriously that then makes it fun. You know, right? <laughs> so, well, this yeah. one of all of them to me had the most kind of irreverent, like over the top, like style, and I liked that. I liked that it was really like in your face, and everybody's kind of insane in a way, and like. You know, the sh- the shots of of them toward the end, like flying out of the back of the ambulance and all all of the, the sort of set piece stuff was, you know, unrealistic. But in that sort of fun, over the top 
bordering on cartoonish way that you just kind of accept it. I was just like, oh yeah, this is just nuts. Cool. Um, and apropos to a crazy, you know, zombie apocalypse scene. Like I, I enjoyed all of that. Um, the performances I think in that one are, are fun. You know, everybody's just losing it, which you would be, I think, if you were actually <laughs> dealing with zombies. I think everybody would just be f- screaming at each other. Yep. They are certainly doing that. Great. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, some, I guess, this last overall things to touch on. Um, you know, when kind of like much like when we do the Japanese horror, we've done a handful of Korean horror movies now too, and I'm looking yeah. at our episodes. But there's something you list you're looking for in those, which I don't know how to describe it other than there's just like an, a Korean intensity, or you know, where they'll just mm. maybe like really go to effed up places or whatever. Just that way, I'll appreciate where it feels like yeah. only how they know how to do. So there was a moment like that in the first story. I appreciated where it just when it has happening, I was kind of like, oh. God, I can't believe they're going here. But it's when they have the little kid begging for his life with the guy who's holding up the lighter, threatening to drop it on the gasoline. Like, yeah, that's that was. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, we've. Well, I guess we're. I guess we're doing this <laughs> yeah. now. That's a. Uh, we've we've <laughs> we've made a departure from just sort of like fun, scary intruder film to. No, we're going to light a kid on fire. Yeah, and he's exactly. Gonna beg for his Which, life. That was an intense turn. And that's exactly what I can depend on these South Koreans for, it feels like. Yeah. So thanks, guys. And then, um, uh, and then sort of, again, on that level of intensity or whatever, or just messed upness, in the third story, the cannibal one, when it, <laughs> when it got into um, the, the cannibal husband licking the blood off the the prospective wife or the future wife or whatever. And just him like hamming it up of, you know, talking about, oh, when you're scared, it does something to your meat or when you're shaking out of fear. <laughs> right, you know, right. just just that kind of monologuing and just just full up, just, yeah, going for that all that cannibalism stuff and him drinking her blood. I was like, yep, great. All right, perfect. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, they lean into the twisted sort of thing in a good way. Like, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, they go there. Yeah. And then uh, last overall thing, I don't know, just sort of like in those two moments that I uh, highlight as being my favorite moments, There, you could tell it felt like the actors and maybe the filmmakers were having some fun during it, mm-hmm. which is something that doesn't seem to take itself too seriously. It's just a nice energy to have behind it all. So. Yeah. You could tell it wasn't just totally like a by the book, just guys get out there and make this movie, but that, you know, they were having fun with the blood effects while they were doing it, which you always hope actors can do when they're doing a horror movie. Agreed. Especially one like this. That's just kind of ridiculous. Yep. Cool. I can't I can't say I have anything else. I guess the wraparound, I kind of was like uh, I enjoyed those two actors in the wraparound. There's I mean, a moment a, when, what's that? It's a unique like um 
duo or rapport or right. situation to be in. There's a there's a fun moment <laughs> which actually kind of freaked me out where the the kidnapper, the guy is just sitting there kind of staring at her and he suddenly like tips his head back and opens his mouth and his eyes kind of roll back in the back of his head and I was like, "Whoa, this is really like unsettling looking." And he's just doing it to be a weirdo. Like it does, there's no like reason for it. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about it or unique about it is it's, it's like two young people and it's, I don't know. It's just a, it's a, to have a crazed serial killer that feels like he's essentially her age. It's just kind of a, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it didn't go to like, oh, it's just a, a, a creepy man or it didn't get too specific of, mm-hmm. I mean, he was a creepy man, but not like a, a man, you know, or yeah, it didn't, it didn't have to go too far into some sort of setup or the flavor of bad guy he is. I don't know. It was just kind of simple and they, they went for it right. and just trying to have, come have fun in the performances with figuring out the quirkiness of their characters. Yeah, it didn't devolve into this this kind of I think we've seen this a couple times where it becomes like a case study of like why is he the way he is? It's like we don't care. Like <laughs> no. it's an anthology thing. Like let's just leave it for take it for what it is and and be done. Great. Yep. Well, I feel like we got a lot more on the next section, so you ready for it? <laughs> Probably. All right, here we go. Again for us, what did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> Look, <laughs> there are like three things that are consistent throughout all of these that were bad. Number one, the music is really bad in all of them. It's that weird, it feels like canned music. It's like, I don't know, royalty-free, like the most tropey of tropey sort of stingers. The best example for what you're talking about, I mean, it's just consistent, but just to highlight it, was in the secret recipe one, when you have the one daughter spying in the room on the other one through the hole. And I think for the second time in this whole movie, you know, she stabs... Uh, a poker through it just barely missing her eye and when it comes through there's just that stinger noise it's just like the most hokey classic sounding cartoon which i mean i can't imitate it but just <laughs> yeah exactly strings escalation it really well, was distracting it's weird though i almost have to put it in both what didn't work and what worked because like in the first story it it had it felt like I know, you know, you kind of missed the boat on this age-wise, but it had that quality of like watching an old Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark TV mm. show, where it had that kind of like kid quality where it's just being so obvious and upfront and telling that when it is all kind of hokey, but is okay with that, it can kind of work. So, so I mean, I can just say, you know, I'll agree with you. Yeah, but at the same time, it's bad. But then where the music to take it further... Like where it really didn't work for me, and this will get into maybe my overarching problems with it, is the it it didn't the 
<laughs> I know you were kind of on a string of the few things that worked so bad for you too, but here, here's here's mine now, I guess. But just <laughs> the overall like flow of this whole movie just fell off. Like on the each story, how it flowed from story to story, scenes, and then even moments within the scenes. There's just so much that just like I don't know how to put it other than it just wasn't clicking or wasn't flowing. And just Messy. sort of yeah, and we'll we'll break that all down further. But I think the music contributed to that. Where if you oh, have yeah. a scene that kind of is like flowing from moment to moment awkwardly, and we're like, well, what's kind of the kind of like well, well, like you look at it like you know, you always hear you feel hear filmmakers or critics talk about how a <laughs> it sounds so pretentious, I guess, but you know how a film should be a like a, a musical piece or an orchestra. Are there even, you know, filmmakers who talk about like it's a movement or their movements within this piece? So you think <laughs> in that metaphor, the soundtrack, if there's going to be music throughout, should especially be a part of that. But in this, it was just only hurting it. It felt like the music was just as confused. The composer was just as confused as what the hell we were supposed to be feeling at any given point. So where maybe the soundtrack could have been used to sort of like help smooth that all out and just sort of be like, okay, here's here's this beat here that we're going for. Here's this beat here we're going for. It only muddled it all that much more. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really disjointed, which leads me to my second big issue. Nothing about any part of this movie has a concise beginning, middle, and end. It's really all over the place. I mean, it's just like, like the first story is confusing because you're constantly not knowing like if you're in a dream or not. Um, not just the first story, Tim. They use that device where they're well, either dreaming or imagining something in every single one. That's that's my third big overarching thing. Okay. So so these can go together, I guess. Like th- that device, that's like waking up from a dream thing is so it's so old, overused, tropey and cheap. It's super cheap. I'm so tired of it. Like here's the thing, it has to be tied into the story or style in a way that feels intrinsic to it like for me it's just as it's it should just be another available tool like it's as common as a as a cross cutting or whatever you know it's not something that's a trope that i feel like has to be like gone forever i just think it has to be used knowingly and in context and be a part of a fabric of it all so like in the very first story where if it's a story about kids imagining things or not like that makes sense for that first one but then for the other ones it's just this lame arbitrary just like excuse to have these jump scares like god it was horrible in that last one the uh or no the the third one the cannibal one secret recipe like at the big unveiling at the end where the daughter's letting the mother know, oh, the pickled meat you're eating right now is your daughter. 
it's like, so she's telling her that horrific thing and the mother is acting accordingly. That should be enough to make a scene out of. But for whatever reason, they have to insert this totally pointless jump scare of the daughter, like, in jump scare form, just appearing with blood down her face for, yeah, for just a jump scare moment where it just, just cuts to her looking like that randomly. It's not based on anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's just to do that. It's so lame. Yeah, or, it was or, really frustrating to me. Like, using that device, I, I guess that's sort of why it goes in conjunction with the the lack of, like, good, clear structure in any of this, is that they're, it seems almost just arbitrary. It's like they don't know what, like, how to construct the story concisely enough, so they're just throwing things in there. Like, oh, we've gotten to a point in this in the telling of this sequence that we don't really have a logical next step let's just have her wake up and it be all be a dream but they like muddy that too a bunch of times so i'm like like in the first one we're with the the sun and the moon daughter and son right like brother sister brother sun being and moon being their names but like once we've We've gone into this other storyline of the workers, the brother of the the worker who got laid off, who killed herself, like protesting and being kind of like shut down by the mother of Sun and Moon, who is the boss of this company that laid his sister off. And then he goes crazy and he ends up being the person who's invading the house. But we go back and it's another setup of the same thing of like leaving the package and a a young boy answers the door this time. And then that young boy is the person who gets gasoline poured on him. But he's not sun or moon from the previous thing. So like who is he and is this – is he the the kid of one of the other high ups in that company? I mean it's just like super confusing and convoluted. And like why? What like what did that like without explaining it? What purpose did that serve? And also, why are we now in a totally different but same story? It just it's like the same. I felt the same sort of convolutedness with the uh, with the third one, the secret recipe one, where I'm just like, we've done too much of this jumping around to who the main character is and who we care about and like what's real and what's not real i'm like i don't know anymore if i'm in a dream or if this is real or like what just happened we just hard cut out to a new scene and i'm like uh did somebody just wake up is that are we like supposed <laughs> right. to be able to follow yeah, that, this like that can I don't be know. a f- like you know one that i love and was a buy it for me audition like that's part of that story is what's real or what's not correct you know but this but one we know where we are and we get we get enough to hang on to to go, oh, shit, I see what's going on here. Right. But like, so in Secret Recipe, here I can use one of those just lame nightmare moments as just sort of like how it's part of a larger little sequence that just something just felt off and not flowing right about it. Where it's like we have the moment where it's something like, oh, well, you won't be able to get married or you won't be able to attend or something like that. And she goes, why? And she goes, because you have no feet. And she looks down and her feet oh, are right. bloody stumps. I guess that's a, a fun moment, but again, but then it cuts immediately away. It's just a, a nightmare. And we go like, okay, well, what, what was the point of that at all? Is this about like, I, I don't know, but then, okay. 
just to kind of then get to the whole sequence and just try to, I don't know, I could almost like kind of use some help on why the flow of this felt so off. But like we have that- I don't think I can help fake, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have that fake jump scare moment. She wakes up and then immediately after that, she realizes she's locked inside this room. Correct. And then immediately after that, she gets gassed and passes out. And then immediate and then and then we cut to the other the other characters. Then when we get back to her, she wakes up in the in a completely different location with the other mom, the mom of the killer. Correct. And it's just kind of like Wait, so, and then the, the, the mom of the killer is kind of like, oh yeah, I found you passed out. And you're just kind of like, wait, what? Like, she found her in this room that she was locked in and alone. She stumbled across her. What, what did that mean? Even just sort of like the sequencing of the scares. Like there was no, it felt like there was no knowing connectivity of escalation between nightmare, fake out, she's locked inside, she gets gassed. Like it was just this yeah. kind of like, stuff is happening at you sense that of, of when it's happening. And that's like my sense through, honestly, through this whole film was just, and maybe it's a big part of it is like you said, there's no, it's not anchoring itself on clear beginning, middle ends. So maybe it all yep. kinds of stems from that. I don't know. You could try to figure it out or break it down different ways, but it's interesting how it kind of manifests on all these micro macro and everything in between levels well it's really interesting because i think a lot of the time you know the challenge when you are using these devices of of like subverting what reality is for your lead character you know is it a dream is it not a dream what's real what's not kind of stuff those can and have worked in storytelling like doing that is not is not inherently like a bad thing but if like you're saying if you are not anchoring a reality somehow you get what we got which is this like jump around thing to the point of complete confusion like I could go back and probably parse out like the actual truth of the intended reality for Secret Recipe. But I don't want to because it was so all over the place and confusing. Yes, she we we have a dream sequence that uses the trope of a dream inside a dream. And then we immediately cut to another scene where she is in a situation that's really crazy for if we are grounded in some reality, it's like her being locked up is crazy. So we immediately are just logically going to think, okay, we're still in a dream. We're in a dream within a dream within a dream. We're, we're tripling down on that thing. But then they're, then they move on in what maybe is the reality. And then she, is suddenly in a completely new location. I mean, it's just, it's too many things stacked on top of each other of maybe this is real, maybe it's not. But then asking the audience to buy in once we're out of all of those things that we've we've come back to reality. Like, that's too much to ask. And it, it's just exhausting. Yeah, 
Exactly. Which is why by the end, I was just like, ugh. No, by the middle, I was like, I'm over it. Like you, is I don't know, another way to describe it, it just feels first drafty, I guess, in a way. Where it's like, mm, you know, first yeah. draft approach, you're always kind of just, okay, trying to throw up the kitchen sink in a way. Yeah. Uh, but so like, for example, okay, like the, whether it's the nightmare thing or like in the case of the plane one, the having creepy ghost girl woman appear. Okay, again, makes sense for the first story if it's about kids' imaginations running wild. It can be whatever. But for the plane one, Endless Flight, what did that have? What did that do at all? What did it offer at all? Was it, did it do anything interesting with sort of allowing us to um, subjectively experience what the killer was going through? No, it was just like for totally arbitrary jump scares that just only kind of muddled who we were with because only he was seeing them. And it didn't pay off in any way. It didn't come back in the story of like, she saved the day because she was taking advantage of that. It was just, it felt like literally they were like, oh, it would be creepy if a ghost girl appeared here. So let's do it. God, I hate it. I hate it. Sorry. If you're going to use that, I agree, right? Like if you're going to insert that trope, it better be used for something, right? Like, the logic says that we've seen this this before. If you're going to use it, logically have it extend to the point of the movie, like the end of the movie or the story. Have that specter be the thing that costs this serial killer his goal, right? Whether that means he gets into the cockpit and he takes over and he's flying the plane and he's diverting it to a place where he can land. And that specter scares him so much that he crashes into the side of a mountain, something or that the flight attendant realizes that he's having these sort of like dissociative dissociative moments. And she takes advantage of that because she's smart enough to put two and two together. And she starts acting like that specter to distract him, to gain the upper hand and win out. Like some, anything, that would have been something. awesome. That would have actually it out. made sense. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but they don't. And that's so annoying. That one to me, like as much as I like the setup, having the cheapness of them being like, and then nobody heard from them. Like what? No, CC. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad so you could lame. at least have a little bit of fun with the, that one, but I just did not care at all. I was so not into that one. Like it just, well, like another thing that felt lame about that plain one for me, again, maybe this is just, okay, I guess I put it like it feels like first drafty, but I think another way to put it that's maybe more accurate is it's just like filmmaking is so much about being plugged into wherever you think the audience is going to be at, both in the experiencing your movie you know, direct way, but as well as just like an overall way, like how are audiences you know, what are, how, what, how do we view movies? Like just in general. So like, and, and when you just miss out on these, like maybe these are bigger things we're pointing out, but some things that seem less obvious, I think take away from it for me just as much when it just feels like you aren't being thorough or plugged into that way. Audience, audiences are viewing your film, but like example, the, the gun on the plane. Like we know it's, you know, we have that (laughs) old rule, like, okay, if you show a gun at the beginning of the movie, it's going to go off at some point. We have another movie rule that isn't maybe spoken, 
But if you have a gun on a plane, it means you have to bring up a risk of how it's going to shoot a hole in the plane. Correct. Like that's the that's what it means in film language yeah. nowadays. Gun on plane <laughs> equals risk of hole in plane. That 100%. does not not for this movie. Doesn't even care. Notice it's just Apparently a lame not. gun that appears that offers absolutely nothing. It's just a it's just an easy weapon that gets shot off twice, has no repercussions. No one even stops to think if they should shoot a gun inside of a plane. It's just felt so out of touch in that way. I mean, also, so in the ambulance one, the 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 doctor pulls a gun. Out of right. nowhere. Right. Just and I'm just movie. like, oh, wait, like, what? I feel like get that that could be a first draft thing where I feel like you, on purpose, you're kind of like, okay, I don't know what the threat is going to be here. I don't know how this is, person's going to get killed here. A gun's the easy just thing that movies do. So I'm just going to write it for now because I don't know what it is yet. I'll figure it out later. Nope, this movie yeah. just keeps the guns in, keeps the nightmare scares in. Another thing I had for that... um, Endless flight one, just kind of, you know, same point I was trying to make. The, you know, like looking at the context of this movie as a whole. All right, for the wraparound, it's kind of weird and interesting. Again, like you have this dynamic of just kind of like normal killer, like a normal guy who's just a young guy who's just a little like weird and off and is a killer for whatever reason. Doesn't like look strange, anything like that. You have that essentially that exact same character is the killer in this one. Like this movie, it just made it so feel like this wasn't a, a horror story, this plane one. It just felt like there's a fight on a plane between a dude and a woman. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, like what's, like, yeah, that's scary in real life, of course, you know, or whatever, but there's nothing horror-esque about it. I, I don't know, it's just so lame, especially when we've just already had a serial killer guy who feels like the same character there's no novelty there's no uniqueness for it like what i don't know man here's what's here's what's critically lacking from this type of setup anthology wise if you're going to have the wraparound be the captive telling stories those stories better have something to do with her plight. And there's a bunch of ways you could do this, but here, here's one example. Do essentially what usual suspects did, which is somebody has to tell a story to save themselves. In real time, they have to come up with this off the top of their head. Well, in this scenario, what, are they going to draw from in order to come up with these stories to keep themselves from being killed? Their situation and their environment. So tie those things in to the stories that they're telling and have us have this catharsis when they get through it and it works of the realization of all of these things, all of these stories that they've just told were pulled from the situation that they're in and the environment they're in, whether that be, you know, she came up with the idea of the pickled uh, victims because in the room that she's in is a jar of pickled something. Right. right? Or how about this? If we're just doing alternative pitches, like what if for the wraparound, if he didn't 
get put to sleep, he kills the woman then and there. And there's like another one in the next room kind of thing. Then you would have some kind of threat. But then also you could actually make it so each person telling the story, it's like, all right, here's the scariest, just weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. Because how this one plays out was just so frustrating, like just how the transitions worked. Where it felt like you're going to start off where maybe it would have been something like I just said, because this first story starts off where she says, here's something that happened when I was young. I'll never forget, blah, 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 blah. So then after that, you're just, and she stays alive or whatever it is, you're just kind of thinking, okay, so if it's going to be this one girl telling all these stories, has she just led a very storied, horrific life? Okay, it's a, <laughs> right. bit, a bit of a stretch, but whatever, we'll, we'll roll with it. Maybe it will all come back in the end somehow. Like it makes, you know, how she's connected all these horrible stories. But like the second one... <laughs> She starts off saying, like, I was on a plane once. It was the last time I went on a plane. And then it's not her at all. It's just right. like, right. as if she, just because she was afraid of flying, she knew of this story that happened. And then the third one, and then the last story, she goes, I was late to the hospital once. And then we cut to the story of, you know, that's a horror story about being late to the hospital. But it's not her, her character. No, it's the, lame. It's, it's like, what is even happening here? Like, what is the connectivity at all? Yeah, the other another way you could play around with this is that, like, maybe every story she tells is an illusion or some sort of reference to something she's devising as she tells the story to get away. You know, so I don't know. Uh, in the first story, there's um, what is there? There's what weapons are in the first story? Uh, the the gasoline and the match, right? Um, maybe somehow she's going to actually use that to her advantage in the actual room that she's telling the story. Um, in the second one, there's the uh, there's the 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 hairpin that the guy shoves through the, the, the eye of one of the pilots, right? Like right. maybe she is, while she's telling this story, if she were handcuffed, maybe she has, you know, pulled the hairpin that she has out and is trying to get her handcuffs off, you know, and, and so on and so forth with each story. Like it's just something, something to tie these stories together rather than what we got, which you just mentioned is like a vague sort of like this happened to me, but no, it didn't really. I'm just going to tell the story, but I'm going to say it happened to me. It's like, it's just, it's really lame. Well, you know, you can, it doesn't have to be a lot that ties a story together either. You just kind no. of have to know what's going on. So for example, for this one, there was kind of like a setup feel thing that felt consistent um, that was going on with the first three where it's like, all right, here's just like a regular non-supernatural situation set up. So it just sort of has this feel of this could have happened to anyone kind of thing. And then hmm, here's yeah. this crazy, you know, thing that happened. And then for whatever reason, for the fourth one, it just completely breaks that where it's like, rather than a sort of normal setup, we are all of a sudden in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Like, not only does <laughs> yeah. this feel off in the setup for the other ones, but when she's transitioning to that story too, it's like, <laughs> she doesn't go, oh, 
there, do you remember that one time when there was the zombie outbreak in whatever prefecture? You know, she, it's just like, where are we? What's going on? Like, when, ha, wouldn't she set up this story differently if we're just all of a sudden in the middle of a zombie outbreak? I don't know. It just <laughs> felt so weird and off. Like, yeah. Another, another idea I have of like a way to maybe tie these things together is kind of sort of like what you said. Let's say you have multi, you have four women who are all held, held captive. Like they're all tied and bound in different ways and they're all in the same room. And he basically is saying, okay, like each one of you has the opportunity to tell the best horror story. And then at the end, I'll choose who lives and who dies based on all of that. And it'd be so cool if each captive integrates into their story clues for the other captives to escape. Mm-hmm. You know, however you formulate that. But, like, each one of them starts subversively using things in their story to help the other captives. Whatever that may be, right? But... How cool would it be if you get to the end where it hasn't really worked, right? Like you say, you start with four captives and and they fail, right? Three of them fail. But because of what they've told in their stories, the fourth one has gotten enough clues to save herself. So it becomes this kind of like, you know, they died. At least they died helping the one last person through their stories like that's such a cool way to wrap things around and have it be connected and have it be cathartic in the end instead of this like ha 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 jump scare just kidding i'm gonna slash your throat at the end (laughs) it's just i can't help but laugh because that just seems like the furthest level of thinking from what's on this movie's mind that's like (laughs) not even like base level you know get something working you know it's like that's a cool that's what you're doing you're really honing in on it stuff and making it work this movie was nowhere close to that like right even like just to go back to these like the more basic things like beginning middle and end progressions you know how about for the rapper like for the wraparound all right the only real progression we had was how much is he falling asleep? You know, is the story putting right. him to sleep? There's no sense of beginning, middle, or end of like an escape that's going on or her, like she kind of tries different strategies, but it's not like they necessarily build on one another or anything like that. Again, just no beginning, middle, and end. And like even just like another example though, in the the wraparound of just something where it's like, just these little sequences or moments, maybe, maybe, and I should have said this up front, maybe there's just a lot that's lost in, like, literally lost in translation. That could you know, be. For, for this. But, like, so maybe I just missed something here, for example. But, like, we're supposed to have this suspenseful or kind of twisty moment where I guess she almost gets to escape by getting her mom on the phone or something. And it's just, like, Okay, yeah. so she like what was that moment, Tim? So she she gets the phone call, she picks up, you know, she looks at it, the phone, picks it up, she's talking on it like it's her mom, as as far as we know. Maybe it is. And she says, I'm at my friend's, you know, we're doing our homework or whatever. And then we get revealed that it's the killer has the phone on behind him. So then that immediately makes us go, Oh, okay, so 
wait, so okay, that means he's calling her, I guess, which means that this is a, one of those moments where he's catching her in the lie, like pretending she's on the phone with her mom. But that doesn't make any sense at all because she would have seen on the phone who's calling. Like what? Unless it's unless it's her mom's phone and he's killed her as well. Like what like, are we doing? What is, yeah, it's just nothing about it. Just flowed or made any sense man in that moment like i no joke in that moment of that thing happening i threw my hands up and said i don't even want to know like i don't get it's it's too i just was like (laughs) no i'm not even gonna try and figure this out i'm glad i wasn't alone in that i was just so beyond just frustrated (laughs) and confused yeah (laughs) all right wasn't just me no it was not I don't have anything else. I mean, it's just, it's messy. Yeah. Oh, well. (laughs) I mean, yeah, same all applies. You know, I'll say, you know, uh, I guess that's the only other little thing that came to mind. For the last story, uh, the ambulance on death zone, like you're talking about, oh, maybe kind of like the style for that one. That one, no, the style just felt like it was... I don't know. It just like as if quick cutting was just a style. I don't know. It just felt weird. Mm, It felt mm -hmm. lame. It felt like it was just working around budgetary constraints of shooting, you know, an action scene on the street. I don't know. It's just something about how that whole sequence was shot was just, I don't know. It just felt bad. And also just kind of on that note too, I hate ragging on these movies. I do hate it, but what are we also redoing here? Like we talked about the music, but there are, Moments where the music, like, as if it it felt like it just kind of, like, cuts really quickly and, like, moves into a different portion. Like, as if they were cutting the scene and cut the music in the middle of it, but then didn't actually do anything to transition or to smooth out that transition. And you had cuts in the movie that were, like, on-camera cuts. Like, here's another example of just, like, okay, you got to, like, just have a good feel of what film language is to know if something's going to work. Throughout this whole movie, there were moments that were jump cuts, which is fine mm-hmm. technique. I like jump cuts. But they were done in such a way where because of like the angles it was on at the time or like the amount of space that we moved during the jump cut, it just felt weird. It like took you a moment to catch up, but like in a bad way. Yeah. Like not in a non-intentional way. Anyway, right. those no, are I just, totally. Some just I some, remember thinking that too. Some more just like filmmaking itself, practical right, things right. that stood out to me. And now that's it for me. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Great. Here we go. Last big section: things of note. I mean, honestly, what is there to even note? I don't know. Well, Tim, we can move on to Horror Stories 2 and 3. There are <laughs> no. two more Horror Stories. We will not. From 2013 and Horror <laughs> Stories 3 from 2016. So cue up that whatever. Let's watch it. Um. Oh, yeah, we should say for listeners, too, this was uh, harder to find. Maybe we should have set this up front, but... 
We tracked it down on YouTube. Someone uploaded it in okay quality, but otherwise it's kind of weird. Like you think like, yeah, the horror anthology film, it'd be more available, but it's kind of weirdly not available this one. So might even be harder to track down two and three, I imagine. Right, right. <laughs> um, we also did not mention just that like, you know, there are multiple directors, multiple writers on this, as you would assume from an anthology. Um, but there are more directors than there are films and sequences. <laughs> so there's one, two, three, four, five, six. And there's the wraparound and four stories. I mean, so that at least would... one of them had a double director. Yeah, exactly. Um, and God, what else? It was the know, last man. one that Ambulance One had two directors. Oh, okay, cool. You know what? That is kind of interesting. I'd say that's a thing of note is how get, even though it has different directors for everyone, there's a consistency across this whole movie that feels like it was made by the same person, but it's a consistency that's not in the good way. Like, how is it that all <laughs> right. these things we're talking about being that are being that are bad about it, not working about it? Are just are that consistent when you have different directors? Is it makes me think it's really on the screenplay, but then it's like you have the same composer through. I don't know. I, that's right. kind of interesting. The breakdown. I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't know how to break it down. But you think you'd, um, yeah. What both worked and what wasn't working was so consistent throughout it for me. It's it is really weird to think they were all different directors. Yeah, agreed. No, no explanation for that. How could you see nope. that happen? <laughs> I don't, like the, the, no, I don't know. The producer has that strong of an influence. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Well, it all depends on like how they, how this was all conceived of in the first place. Which it seems like it was conceived broadly as one thing, and then they sort of, you know divvied out who's going to take what story, but they were all under the same kind of umbrella to begin with, rather than sourcing it from existing shorts and then finding a way to sort of tie a wrap around, which does happen as well sometimes with anthologies, probably a lot yeah. of the time. Um, so I don't know. Weird. The last thing that I had, it was just kind of interesting and fun to give some context to one of the opening logos that came up at the beginning of the company that produced this film was Lotte Entertainment, part of Lotte Corporation or Lotte Group, L-O-T-T-E. Lotte, it just it's a huge, it's one of the huge corporations in South Korea. Uh-huh, uh, okay. So it's just funny to imagine this. This is just being released by them for whatever reason. For me, like they're they're huge. They have. They have like a whole, you know, food. Uh, they're, they like, they're like crossed over with Nestle. Like they have grocery stores. They have mini marts, things like that. They have a whole like chemical company division. They have a whole like other tourism division of hotels oh. and baseball, comp- you know, a baseball team. They also have, which I've been to in South Korea, they have one of the largest indoor theme parks in existence called Lotte World, which is like a, a weird Disneyland ripoff. It was really fascinating. Um, okay. Just a funny thing about Lotte World, too. 
there's like it's mostly indoor, but then they have like an outdoor leg of it with this roller coaster that I went on. And years after going on it, I was talking to a friend who works in um, this sort of like audio implementation of of attractions and museums and stuff like that, like building in hidden speakers. And he told me he heard like through someone who worked on it. He's like, oh my God, are you serious? You went on that roller coaster? I would not have gone on that roller coaster. Apparently it has like a history of injuries or breakdowns oh, or no. something like that. <laughs> and some more corruption on Lotte World, just because I thought it was funny on June 2016, Companies of the group were raided by South Korean prosecutors investigating into a possible slush fund as well as breach of trust involving transactions among the group's companies. I don't know. There's something kind of weird or ironic where you had this company that was at the heart of some corruption. And in one of the stories, you have a story element that's about like super large corrupt company that's involved in (laughs) some kind of scandal. I don't know, man. This felt very like corrupt snake eating its tail. Like what? You just wonder if like this, something about this movie being bad is connected to the, the prong, the, 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 the soil from which it was grown. Yeah. In a way. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Be. That's, that's why I mentioned it all. And it just kind of gave me a trip to like have been to Lotte World to know a bit about them and see at the beginning Lotte Entertainment. <laughs> so some some context about something that's we would not know here. It's a big old, big old thing there. Okay. <laughs> Great. Okay. Great. <laughs> so now we can wind down from horror stories with some recommendations for us and you as we like to do. I watched a horror film that's on Shudder that I really liked and was pleasantly surprised by. It's called Sun, S-O-N. And it's just kind of like a tiny little indie horror. Um, Nothing crazy, but like really fun vibes and like really well shot. Like a lot of really nice lighting composition in particular. Um, it's got the actress from Halloween, the granddaughter of Laurie Strode, um, that actress who now, of course, I can't remember her name. Andy um, Matichak. Yes, that's it. Um, it was fun. I it, it didn't get great reviews. And I think a lot of it is because people are like, well, I don't like the ending. Well, tough. I mean, sometimes the ending isn't, you know, what it's all about. Uh, but I really liked it. It was fun. Check it out. Cool. Gore. Some really cool gore. <laughs> I just added it to my watch list. Some body horror, which I always love. Well, in this section, not only do we like to recommend dead, but I like to follow up if I watched one of your recommendations, Tim. Ooh, okay. So I finally rented and checked out uh, Wait Until Dark, the Audrey Hepburn movie you just recommended recently. This is uh, true. Yeah, no, I thought it was great too. And I especially just wanted to point out Alan Arkin was incredible. He's, He's so good in this. The greatest. <laughs> right? I could not believe him in this movie. And then I didn't even realize it was him until afterwards, seeing him at a younger age. 
I know, um, I know. Yeah, it's crazy. That and just the whole last sequence of, you know, that cat and mouse stuff of playing with the darkness and all the, the lights and all that and uh, yeah. flames. That was cool. Anyway, not my recommendation, but just like to follow up when we've watched something we've recommended. I don't know. Recently, let's see. I'll recommend Dead, something I, let's say I enjoyed it just as much as I hoped I would. It was something I had seen before, but we're kind of at that era now where like early aughts movies, it's kind of taken me by surprise. They're 20 years old now. And most, you know, a lot of them I hadn't seen since then. So I revisited for the first time since 2003, School of Rock with Jack Black. I just watched that too. <laughs> Maybe just because like, you know, it's Richard Linklater. I always want to watch it. I love Jack Black. And of course, Mike White um, writing it. You know, I just watched, I love The White Lotus. That was great. And that was his TV show. Could have recommended that. But anyway, School of Rock, I thought, yeah, all those reasons. But it's interesting to point out as a good example of something where it's like this kind of structure and story where it can be totally fun and engaging and you get caught up with the characters, but it doesn't have to just do what it feels like like obligatory stakes or drama. Like, it, it kind of gets to it, you know, it's like, oh, the, all the parents find out about it and are, you know, trying to stop the concert at the end. But I don't know, for the most part, like the movie... A lot of times it's just kind of like you're hanging out with them and they're playing their instruments and this this it's more low stakes. Like we have just enough just to kind of, you know, what's the next goal we got to reach here? But it didn't feel like it was this sort of, you know, the Disney Channel formula of, all right, this is the mo- part of the movie where this thing goes wrong and then, oh, right, right. they're trying to do this and then that goes wrong. I was just really refreshing and is going, maybe that's one of Richard Linklater's strengths too. It is a testament to the single goal, like, character type. So, Jack Black has one goal, to play at the Battle of the Bands. That's it. Everything that he does is based on that one goal. And it just so happens that in his pursuit of that one goal, he learns a lesson. Yeah. That's it. He's got a couple obstacles here and there, but it's all just about achieving this one goal and his internal conflict or or struggle is which is sort of who am I as a person is comes comes around and meets his external goal, which is I want to play in Battle of the Bands and they meet each other there. And that's that. It's so simple. Yeah. So really effective when you have those strong tenants whatever you call it, um, tenets, tenets. Maybe that is, you can't, You don't have to worry about shoving in all of them. Like, because you just have this so clear, this is the character journey, this is the character goal, that's enough to go off yeah. of. It's fun. And yeah, it was classic. You have the, it's the slacker who, or someone we perceive as the slacker, who's actually not one. We get to see him, he, he's once plugged into his goal. He's anything but a slacker. He's an awesome teacher as long as he's getting to do it his way. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's so simple and just concisely good. Yeah, and just watching Jack Black do his thing and just figure everything so out by the fly by the seat of his pants. He's one <laughs> of those archetypes. So much fun. And yeah. Richard Linklater, you know, power to him. It's like, yeah, when you have Jack Black and he's, 
doing this, uh, you know, uh, performing whatever song. Yeah, you just want to see him in a long take doing it. Like, it doesn't, it's, it's good. He knows how to shoot him. Definitely. Great. Well, Tim, because it is the end of September here, we actually are not pulling from our hat. It's already time of year, believe it or not, where we are going to do our our planned October special. So for our first October special two years ago now in Dismembering Horror History, we did the four Psycho films, or mm. the, the Anthony Perkins Psycho films. For our one year, a year ago, last October, we did the four Scream films because we thought it'd be fun to go through them before a Scream 5 exists. Just kind of, all right, here's our Scream four, our four Scream movie reality preserved in that, that perspective. <laughs> right. And now, it's thought of a new kind of fun theme that would be interesting to explore would be to do the threequels of the famous horror franchises. So the famous horror franchises being Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and Halloween. And each one of these films, they kind of have a... uh, Each of the third ones for each of these franchises, they have some kind of notoriety or sometimes they're people's favorite. Um, We've also thought it'd be fun just to actually talk about the, you know, these, these big tentpole characters and you know, um, uh, uh, worlds, franchises, whatever you want to call them. But it'll be fun because for one of these, Halloween, we are about to enter a reality where we have two third movies in the franchise officially. Because as now is in vogue to do, uh, they're doing it with The Exorcist where they just take... Forget all the sequels to the original. They're doing direct sequels to the very first Halloween. So we already reviewed uh, for this podcast the new Halloween film that came out a couple years ago. So that was technically the sequel to the original Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween. Totally forgetting Halloween 2 and anything after that. So technically, Halloween Kills that's coming out this month as of um, when you're listening to this is also a third Halloween movie in addition to Halloween 3 season of The Witch. Correct. (laughs) So we'll get a new... And just to make it even more confusing, they're doing a trilogy with the new version of this Halloween franchise. So the fourth movie in the canon will technically be the third movie of the trilogy, the modern trilogy, but this is the second movie in the modern trilogy, but the third movie in the canon, oh boy, what am I talking about? And when you say canon, you mean the second canon. That's that's, that's right, that's right, the second canon. (laughs) If it wasn't confusing enough. (laughs) Jesus. But no, that'll be fun. I mean, I love the third Nightmare on Elm Street. I feel like that'll be great to talk about. Friday the 13th is when... He gets the hockey mask for the first time. I get why it's a lot of people's favorites. You know, it's just yeah. kind of doing the formula hard. The characters are fun in it. Um, Halloween 3 season of The Witch. It's the odd man out in that it's not a Michael Myers movie, but it has taken down, taken on a sort of new fandom 
with um, uh, Tom Atkins starring in it. You know, he's always great and has his fans, but it's a super Halloween. I mean, it's set on Halloween like the other Halloween movies. So it's got that fun flavor to it. Um, yeah, and then we'll see what the new Halloween's all about too, because of course we're going to see that. It's a fun excuse to talk about it. Absolutely. I'm going to go on a haunted hayride. It's going to be great. <laughs> great, great, great. All right. So then with that, our big ask is if you made it this far, we assume you liked being here this long. So maybe you should tell a like-minded friend about our fair show if you think they may enjoy joining us. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Do it. So, well... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in closing whether this is just a jump scare dream or not <laughs> thanks for listening that's right that's right and we will see you next time good goodbye <laughs> <Bye. laughs>